Hi, I'm Melissa. Hi, I'm Kara, and you're listening to Cultivated Conversations. A space where we talk about life, family, work, where we're getting it right, and where we're getting it wrong. And what it means to live and purchase ethically in a fast-moving world. Grab a cup of coffee or a glass of wine, pull a seat up at the table, and know that wherever you are on your journey, you belong, and we are so glad you've joined us. All right, guys, welcome back. It's season two, and we are so excited. We have 10 awesome podcasts lined up for you this fall, and we have been working hard to get those recorded and find great guests, and we are really excited. Um, But I feel like we need those little, like, confetti poppers, like, boom, kick off season two. I know. Sound of it, like, Yes. Yeah, we need like <laughs> you know, we need to get Woo. one of those little, yeah, like the fake <laughs> clapping things that you hear on like old TV shows where it's like, hey, recorded sounds of clapping. One of these days we should do a podcast live and then we can actually have people cheering for us. Well, <laughs> force all our family and friends into a room and make them make them listen to us. I'm always nervous about live because you just never know what's going to come out of my mouth, so you don't know like. Yeah, but that's why you you can record the podcast live and still edit it later to ah. go on the podcast. It's just the when you recorded it, it was live with people, real people. So, but yeah, we're back and we're excited. Uh, today, we're actually going to be just chatting through the basics of ethical purchasing, a little bit of what it is, why it exists, why it matters, and then how we can get involved. But before we jump into that, um, Kara, I want to hear your best memory or kind of the thing that happened this summer that stands out to you. Oh, okay. I have a really good one. I'm ready. So if you know me, you know my family lives abroad, as does a lot of Melissa's family. So my brother was in town for like five months earlier this year, and so we did lots of crazy and fun things, but... My parents also have a camper, and they took us all camping one week. And how many is all of us? Yeah, so it was my brother's family, which there are five of them, mm-hmm. and then my parents and me and my kids. My husband had to work, so he wasn't able to go. But so it was a camper and a cabin full of people. Mm-hmm. And we went to Marvell, which is a really family-friendly campground here in Oklahoma, and my nephew who i'm not good with kids ages i think he's like nine Uh um really wanted they were having a jump rope competition one morning Mm -hmm. and he really was so excited about it like got up and he was like today's jump rope i'm gonna go i'm gonna win and we get out there and like we're the only ones there oh no so being the awesome aunt that i am i was like oh we're having a competition And the campground lady was like, oh, we don't have to do a competition since it's just you guys. And I was like, oh, no. It's on. We are competitive people here. (laughs) Ian wants a competition with jump ropes. We're having it. I haven't jump rope in probably, what, I'm 38, probably 30 years. (laughs) And so we have this competition and, like, everybody's out except for me and Ian. And we're going at it. And I'm, like, focusing completely because I'm, like, okay, I have to, like. Right. Give him a run for his money. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody starts taunting him and starts taunting me. And he totally, like, loses it. And I win the jump rope competition. (laughs) 
Go, Kara. Okay, I'm going to put a picture on our podcast notes of me getting my award. She had an award? Yes, it's a medal. I, I mean, it. it's one of those little plastic medals, yeah, but still. I made her do a whole ceremony. And I literally <laughs> wore that all week. Yeah, of course you did. I won the jump rope competition. And people kept saying, how did you not let him win? And I was like, I totally thought he was. I right. can't jump rope. Yeah. Right. <laughs> You're like, I didn't go into it like, I'm totally going to beat my nephew. No, I think that's just a great memory from our, like, just a fun time we had all of our family being in one place together, which doesn't happen very often right. when... You're spread out all over the world, so. True that. How about you? Well, I found out I'm expecting. Okay, I was going to wonder. It's a big deal. We're expecting our fourth. We have three little girls. Still don't know the gender of number four. But yeah, that was kind of a big surprise. So <laughs> Unexpected? Unexpected. Um, it definitely was a big influencer for the summer. I am not a great pregnant person. I don't have good pregnancies, so most of the summer was spent in a haze of nausea and exhaustion. Good times. However, there is, we did get to go on vacation, so um, I have a couple of friends from college that we've been friends now for going on 20 years, right? Coming up on 20 years. Oh my gosh. And and two of them, there's three of them, and the, all three of them were bridesmaids in my wedding, but um, two of them and I and their husbands and kids, which we all have three kids, got to go to on vacation together. So we so rented fun. this house in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. It was like the center point. They don't live um, in Oklahoma, so we all, we like had to find what was kind of a central point. It wasn't truly a central point because we had to drive two hours, um, some other friends drove four, and then our other friends drove like eight so you know we've got to find a better (laughs) but it was this huge house on i think like a hundred acres and it was it was a castle it had a turret that you could like a turret you know like a tower like the castle towers that have like the things you know cut out so you can stand and you know keep guard and watch over and have your bow and arrow to like kill any enemies that are coming in you know but so that was super fun um bunch of kids all kind of about the same age ranges it was we did just had a bunch of fun but my highlight from that trip was that one night a couple of my friends and I and my husband stayed up really late talking and it was actually the best night to watch the um, meteor shower that was happening so we went up it was like 1 a.m and we went up and laid laid out like laid on the turret and because we're in the middle of nowhere right yeah um and we probably saw 10 or 15 shooting stars That's awesome. so that was really fun i hadn't seen shooting stars in a really long time the kids were asleep and just the adults up there right so it was just that. a lot of fun um and just a really sweet memory so that was probably the highlight of my summer plus i'd like gotten over the worst part of my nausea and that's my highlight my highlight from the summer we're back now. We are. And we are excited to talk with you guys. Today we're going to jump into ethical purchasing. So the first question we have is, what is ethical purchasing? And this is something, um, it's a big question because the truth is that ethical purchasing is kind of a big umbrella term that people right. use to mean a whole bunch of different stuff. So, and really every time we have a guest on the show and we ask them about ethical purchasing, they always want to define what it means for them. Right. And that's awesome because ethical purchasing is a big 
broad term. And so understanding how people sort it out for themselves is really important to understand how they make the shopping decisions they make. Right. So we want to give everybody just kind of a basic today so you guys can make some decisions to determine what's important to you, what your next strategy is. Right. So the way that Kara and I, I would say, define ethical purchasing is that ethical purchasing is creating a purchasing plan (laughs) to uh, utilize, like when you are purchasing ethically, you are utilizing companies. And there's several different ways to go about this, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but you are utilizing companies that have transparent manufacturing practices and that are working in their manufacturing practices to value either the earth, people, or animals. Yeah. And I think that, you know, of course, there's also like thrifting and consignment, which also falls under ethical purchasing. Very much so. And so, but ethical, ethical manufacturing, when we're talking about what, when we're purchasing from companies we know are at, are manufacturing ethically, it just means that they're transparent in their in their manufacturing processes and yeah. that they are working to to treat people or the earth or animals in a way that is kind and um, values those entities. So that's yeah. kind of the big umbrella term. It's just an excellent way to start and people start in different areas. So you've got your folks at animals, they really want to make sure that the clothes that they purchase were kind to animals. So they start that way and they make grow into the other areas a lot of my friends have started with good kind to people and labor stuff and they move into the other areas from there which is kind of where I started and um I think it's really important to say to that you know that this is complicated and this is something we want to say from the very beginning of this particular podcast but just life in general but in ethical purchasing and ethical manufacturing it's complicated and when we try to pretend like it's simple or that it ought to be simple then what it then it really doesn't accurately reflect the complexity of manufacturing the complexity of working across cultures, the complexity of various values that um, different cultures have on different things, right? The way people see treating animals ethically, treating the earth ethically, treating people ethically, how um, just that it's all really complicated. And so everything we say today, we're saying with a grain of salt, take it with a grain of salt. (laughs) And we're also saying it with in this context of understanding that this is a process. And we're going to talk about this in a little bit, um, get into that a little bit more, but it's really important to understand that the process of being an ethical manufacturer is a really complex process. And so this is one of the reasons why Kara and I talk about having Um, transparent manufacturing practices as kind of the baseline for companies. Yeah. Um, So we're excited to talk to you guys a little bit more down the road of, you know, how to get involved with that. And we're going to chat about that in a little bit. But what's really interesting about fair trade or ethical manufacturing or these different taglines, right, is that what I found, Kara, and you may find this too, is oftentimes when I talk to people about ethical manufacturing, their response to me is like, well, duh, 
Yeah. I mean. (laughs) Of course people should be treated well. Exactly. And, you know, I heard this one time and I thought it was such a great point. Somebody said, ethical manufacturers are doing what we assume every company is doing. Right. What should be the baseline. Exactly. From where we start. Right. Like, and so that's the crazy thing is this is not where companies most so many companies particularly in the fashion industry which is kind of where you and I kick off our our own journeys and you know it's one of the big things we talk about but this is not the way companies act and you were talking a little bit about um, a really helpful it's not a documentary but it's essentially like a report that was done by John Oliver to kind of unpack this idea of companies that like the history of it and why they do or do not choose to make this yeah Um, and we're going to post this in our links but very much yeah so he actually and it's a little crude so it's okay we can all handle it right well just a heads up that if if that's going to be something to bother you that might not be the best video for you to click on also maybe not watch with your kids right yeah and the link that we have like when he uses cuss words, they bleep it out. But he's, he feels very passionate about this. Yeah. And and what I love about his report is that he's actually saying it's no longer ignorance that is keeping us from doing what's right in our clothing factories. Because, I mean, he goes back to when Kathy Lee Gifford was um, called out in the 90s right. for child labor in sweatshops that her clothes are being manufactured in. And that's my first real memory. I was like a high schooler when all that kind of went down. And that is my very first memory of something coming to kind of national consciousness, right? Like mm-hmm. of manufacturing practices and being like, wait, what? And I remember that was kind of the feeling that everybody was like, Kathy Lee, you know, How like, could you all, let this happen? Exactly. We're all shocked and offended at her as if this was a one off. Yeah. As if it was this like really unusual way of manufacturing. And it wasn't, which is the sad part. And it still isn't, which is also the sad part. And that video, like you're saying, kind of goes in that history a little bit. Yeah, and he calls out some other companies that have been called out nationally in the U.S. for poor practices in their factories, yet they're still continuing down this path. There's still reports of that. So that becomes the part where we talk about this all the time, probably in every episode, is where we vote every day with where we spend our money on the world we want to live in. And so purchasing from companies that we know are trying to move this needle forward on what our baseline of human rights and respecting the planet Mm -hmm. and all of that should be. So, Well, you know, the history of this particular type of manufacturing, um, and we're obviously going to focus on the fashion industry because it is... It is well known to be one of the largest industries that has... uh, that has unethical manufacturing practices. And, you know, a couple years ago, I read an awesome article that was talking about kind of the top industries that are known for unethical um, sourcing, right? Mm -hmm. Unethical practices. And they were the ones I, I, there were five, and I can only remember four, and I need to find this article. But it was um, coffee, chocolate, fashion, and technology. 
mm-hmm. um, are the top ones. Um, thankfully, coffee and chocolate are seeing a pretty great uh, like response. You're going to actually be hard pressed to buy coffee anywhere that doesn't have a fair trade option or a right. direct source option. You know, most grocery stores these days are going to have um, something and it's really clearly labeled, which is really helpful. So it's yeah. easy to switch to either direct source, fair trade, even if you do like organic or shade grown, any of those kind of things are going to be more ethical ways of coffee manufacturing. Yeah. And we could talk about that for a long time. The other one is chocolate. And again, this is something thankfully that so many chocolate producers and stores are noticing and it's really not difficult to find fair trade chocolate. Yeah. So if you guys want an easy in on fair trade ethical purchasing, coffee and chocolate are awesome ways to kind of start that journey because really it's a very simple change. Um, and you probably don't even have to go anywhere else besides your local grocery store to find new, uh, sources, right? Like, of, um, so you just look for that little fair trade stamp. You don't have to go to another grocery store. Right. Go where you're usually going. Yeah. Technology is complicated. Oh, I can't um, even, com- I like, my brain can't even handle that topic yet. I know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's definitely a, something that Kara and I have not gotten involved in a ton, although I do know that there is a company in Europe that has been working to produce the first ethically made phone. The, is it called Fairphone? Something I don't like that? remember, to be perfectly honest, off the top of my head what the name of it is. But I've so been the, trying to follow them because I can't, my brain can't wrap around the research. Right. And, and the big deal with that is um, most of that comes from s- the sourcing of various like um, minerals that are needed in order to create mm-hmm. the technology that exists in your phone. Um, and so like, and we're talking like child labor exactly. is needed. Terrible. To, it's, yeah, it's, it's bad. It's horrific, horrific practices happening primarily in Central Africa in order to um, mine out the, I don't know if it's exactly it is that's needed in order to make these, these things. And again, I'm really excited to know that there's people who are working on that, right? And yeah. are passionate about that. So Moving I think that hopefully forward. in the next, yeah, in the years to come, we're going to, we're going to begin to continue to have that conversation. So we're going to talk a little bit about the history of fashion, right? Like how fashion became one of the worst industries for unethical manufacturing practices. And this all happened with the, the birth of this idea of fast fashion. Mm-hmm. We can all blame ourselves. Well, and the truth is too, you know, I think it's really important to not be overcome by a sense of guilt. Right. Oh, sorry. I it's might no. a point where I can joke about it. Yes, exactly. I don't joke about the people, but Kara, chat with us a little bit about the fast fashion history. Like how how what happened? Yeah, so I didn't go back too far in my research, but some of the research I did even show back in um the early 90s when Zara was kind of coming to the forefront in American culture. And they celebrated this idea that they could take in 15 days, they could start 
designing and in the 15-day process, get it in your hands in 15 days from when they start designing, which means crazy. it is crazy. And when you know what it takes to get a garment to look nice and fit well, but well, and to ship it and to have yeah. it like unpacked and in the store, right? Like all yeah. of that is several days in that process. Right. So, and the designing, so from design to getting the fabric, to getting it to the factory and the factory workers making it in mass production and then getting it, yeah, shipping, boxed up. Across the world. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> it's totally crazy. Right. I just sit here like, I have nowhere else to go now, like. Let's all <laughs> yeah. ponder Let's that all they could do that. that. Well, you know, I think it's important to recognize that in our grandparent and our great grandparents' ages, there were four fashion seasons. You had mm-hmm. the four yeah. seasons reflected in your four fashion seasons, you know? And so every season, you'd have a new line of clothing come out. And that's it. You're not getting any new clothes in the store for another like two to three months. Yeah. And and these fast fashion companies, they celebrate the fact that in, you can come into their store seven days from now and see a whole new line of clothes. Right. But I think that like it's it's crazy to recognize that we can go into some of these big box stores and the things we saw on the rack at the front of the blaze aren't going to be there in a week. You better go buy it now if you want it because it's not even guaranteed. Whereas our great grandparents, you know, they would have gone to a store once. And then when they went again a month later, it's all the same stuff. You know, like it's just such a different world. And this is where comes a big rub for me in this industry because they're feeding on our consumerism. Mm -hmm. They're feeding on this. If you don't buy it now, it won't be here next week. You better get it now. Which, great strategy. You're not going to see this print in this legging ever again. So you better get it now. Yeah. But I don't like that because that puts, that doesn't allow me to process. That doesn't Mm -hmm. allow me to think about my purchase. It doesn't allow, it's like, buy it now or you're not going to get it. And I'm at a point now where I can see that a mile away and I go like stiff arm them. Whoa, hold up on that. I'm not going to be able to get it a month from now. Right, right. Well, and I think too, you know, it's really important to also realize that they they have also built in though this reoccurring need because if the t-shirt you buy is not going to be wearable a couple months from now, right? It's such bad fabric. It's so badly made. It's made for short-term wear. And that's the other big difference, right, is that fast fashion isn't isn't just that they're putting out things quickly. It's that the things they're putting out are actually made to be disposed of, disposed of, you know. And this is a huge problem as well in the fashion industry is um, and one of one that that companies are beginning to recognize is we have all of these this clothing that we what are we doing with this? Right. Um, This is where, you know, we get into some of our issues, posing of clothes and what we do with them. This is where you get into shipping containers full of Goodwill clothes, you know, that end up in Africa and um, to a severe detriment of the economy there. And I've talked about this before, but I know that there are several East African nations that have recently come together to sign an agreement that they will no longer accept used clothing from that's awesome 
other countries because it's such a detriment to the economy for them to get all of these used clothes. It's, mm-hmm. you know, to their own clothes makers. And, and so it's just um, fast fashion creates this huge problem from how we treat people to how we even, you know, have this idea of consuming things. It is a very complex and it's murky waters, you know, but this is how we got into unethical manufacturing because in order for these companies to produce the clothes so quickly, they had to source materials and utilize labor that was really cheap because they want you to purchase. You have to have the money to purchase multiple items within a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. So they cannot sell you a t-shirt for $47 and expect you to come buy another one in two weeks. Yeah, They can sell you a t-shirt for $8 and expect you to come buy another one. But what's yeah. really crazy is when you begin to realize that many, most fashion companies, most fast fashion companies are operating with like a 70 to 80% profit margin. Yeah. And so you think about an $8 t-shirt having an 80% profit margin you know, that means that that t-shirt costs about $2, less than $2 to actually produce. Yeah. To buy the material, to pay the worker. So you begin to think about, wait a minute, how is that possible? And pay the designer in the U.S. Exactly. And you think, how is that possible to be done ethically? And the answer is, oh, it's not. <laughs> yeah. But when you pay $8 for it, really, and after you wash it twice and it doesn't keep its shape it already has holes in it right then you can get rid of it and and really this is where i was before knowing and before i could see that frenzy purchase a mile away was well i just paid eight dollars for it yeah right it was it was about as much as a real nice cup of coffee yeah yeah and you can dispose of it so that's where this is where i feel like we get really passionate and as you could tell, I had to take a deep breath and like just to say what I wanted to say <laughs> on some stuff. It's in this podcast. We want, because we have talked about so many things last season, to really sit down and just open some eyes and and no judgment in where we're purchasing from, except for to say, let's think about it. Let's think about why that shirt costs $10. And when you start thinking about it, you start thinking about, okay, this $10 shirt is only going to last me a month. Could I invest in something that's $50 or $80 and it's going to last me, could it last me two seasons? Is it that great of a shirt, you know? Which kind of has pushed us into this last idea, which is awesome, right? So we have what ethical purchasing is, why it matters. And really, you know, I mean, you've got this awesome report from John Oliver that's going to help you be like holy cow this is this matters um there's the movie um true cost yeah the documentary true cost which is at least last I saw you could watch it I think on Netflix um and is worth watching absolutely but this will help unpack a lot of that why why it's because people matter the earth matters you know yeah um even when we're not caring for the earth that is true cost is really good about saying when we're not caring for the earth when we're using these pesticides how it's affecting farmers and their families and exactly so it turns into not being good for our farmers and people and right caring for the earth is caring for people ultimately it's the same thing and so i think that uh 
that's the why behind ethical purchasing. And um, because like we said at the beginning, unfortunately, we assume that companies are doing what they are not doing. And the truth is that many big fast fashion brands are putting their clothes out there at the expense of the earth, at the expense of people's lives. You know, we're we're talking trafficking, we are talking child labor, we are talking horrendous work conditions. And, um, you know, I always think that this idea of belonging to each other, which is kind of a Mm -hmm. trendy thing to say, right? right? Like we all belong to each other and we all get the warm fuzzies. But what that really means is that I am trying to make choices that treat people the same way I would want someone who is beloved to me to be treated because we belong to each other because there's nobody who is less valuable in terms of the value of people in the world. Yeah. And if I can translate the love and the passion I have into how I want to treat people, um, then that is a true reflection of the value that they hold because they are as valuable, right? We always talk about this is somebody's kid. This is somebody's wife. This is somebody's mom, you know, and, um, and they are worth treating well. So worth it. I, there in the Instagram ethical fashion world, there's a quote that's been running around this past couple weeks and it's, says that we cannot exploit women in one country to empower them in another. Yeah, that's so... And so many brands are like, empower women, because that's really like a big thing right now, which I'm, I'm there. Yes. I'm, I'm all there. We're I'm all in on empowering women. Mm-hmm. I even tell my son, this is what our family's about. We empower women and we stand up for people's rights. But looking at that and saying, you can't exploit women in one country to empower them in another, because we are connected. Yep. And they matter as much as my kids matter, as much as I matter. Yeah, exactly. And so I think it's just having knowledge. It's just being aware and realizing, oh, okay, this is actually happening. This Mm -hmm. is real. You know, 20% of human trafficking goes into labor. One of the highest suicide rates in the world is among cotton farmers in India because it's such a terrible industry to work in. We know there are about 75 million people that work in the in the garment industry and 80% of them are women. Yeah. So when we talk about women's rights and I saw somewhere in an article doing research for this, we're talking about me too, you know, yeah. in America it has been a thing the last, you know, six months and I'm right there with you. Like we've all experienced someone saying something or doing something that was highly inappropriate. And just mm-hmm. imagine the women that are the women that are making our clothes saying me too. Yeah. Me too. Exactly. If they had a Twitter, if they had an Instagram, they're mm-hmm. saying me too. You know, the great thing is that we can do something about it. Yes. There is choice. This is not an impossible thing to overcome. And so, you know, we've talked about this and we're going to kind of touch lightly on this because this is what we're going to be talking about this fall. How? We're going to get end up on all of the hows. But to kind of overview how you know the first line of how to have an ethical wardrobe is to stop purchasing (laughs) like seriously stop buying stuff and wear what's in your closet that is the most important thing we can do you know I'm always amazed when people talk about 
things in their closet that still have tags on them. Yeah. The truth is that Kara and I lean towards like cultivated closets, a little bit more of kind of what maybe is known as like a capsule wardrobe, right? Mm -hmm. Fewer pieces that we wear more often. And we recognize that everybody, again, is in a different place. You may love to have this super like fun, trendy wardrobe with a lot of choices. And that's kind of your jam. Great. You can still do that ethically. Um, But one of the biggest ways is just stop purchasing, wear what's in your wardrobe. And take evaluation of what's in your wardrobe. Yeah. And I realize this is not like we're saying that. And I know generally our audience likes fashion because we talk about that a lot. But I know for a lot of my friends, when we talk about shopping or even looking at their closet to even determine what their style is or evaluate what's in your wardrobe, it just sounds like pulling out their fingernails. <laughs> That's right. So but get a if friend you can, over. Yeah. And, and really, like, just saying, okay, how many shirts do I have? What styles are they in? What looks good on me? What makes me happy? You yeah, know, what do I love to wear? Conmari that closet. Yeah, what brings exactly. me joy? Because the truth is, you know, I heard a great quote one time that said, everybody actually has a capsule wardrobe. Yes. You just don't realize it. But everybody has those same couple things you end up pulling out over and over again because you love how you feel in it. You, it's really comfortable. It's well made, you know. And so figure out, like, what are those things and why are they, why are they my Why do you like them? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, you know, figuring out your closet is great. And then, you know, we talk about kind of the baseline is... You know, purchasing used is such a great way to purchase ethically and totally counts, you know, whether that's mm-hmm. thrifting, whether that's consignment, though, that's like a baseline entry for ethical purchasing. Yeah. And we're going to do a whole podcast on, yeah. consignment, on consignment, thrifting, clothes swaps, vintage, vintage. We're excited. But then we begin to talk about if we're purchasing something new, right? Yes. Then we begin to talk about ethical companies. So mm-hmm. like Kara, what is it you you would say to somebody if they were like, so how do I begin the, the process of finding companies that are ethical manufacturers? You know what? Don't do the research. Just go to our Instagram. Follow us on Instagram <laughs> and I'll tell you everywhere I shop. Because right. I enjoy this. I enjoy researching the companies. I sat at a coffee shop Tuesday and just researched a whole bunch. I enjoy it. Yeah. So you're following us. You're following like ethically curated her Instagram. You're following Shop Trove. Um, or that's what their Instagram tag is but trove our friends over there and these instagrammers and companies that are doing what they can do to push the needle forward on ethical manufacturing they highlight other companies too so that's the first way but we do want to talk about just evaluating a company right the truth is really what you are looking for is companies that have transparent manufacturing process Mm -hmm. and so there's a couple of companies that are leaders in this leaders yeah Yeah. and so one of the big ones um, that everyone who is in the fair trade world knows is Everlane I love their transparency 
Yeah. They will tell you how much it costs to ship that shirt from their factory in Vietnam. Yeah. It's, I love it's it. It's ridiculous how transparent they are with their, I can't even imagine the work that goes in. You know, the staffing they have to have mm-hmm. that does nothing but report on their uh, manufacturing processes. Um, so go it. check out Everlane because they are worth looking at because you will essentially see what the gold standard of manufacturing um, transparency looks like. Um, and just recognize that while Everlane's amazing, they are also the gold standard. And most right. companies are not able to have the, they don't have the, the resources to be able to do that kind of transparency on their website or, um, you know. Yeah. That, that's not practical for them. But Everlane is such a great company to kind of be like, yes, this is what ought to be happening. And they will even show you pictures of their factories. Right. And, and this is what we're looking for. This is what I love. I actually went and did some of my research on their website because they're the gold standard. So what are we looking for in factories um, to know that people are being treated well? And they talked about the lighting, making sure that – People aren't squinting their eyes to make the clothes that you're wearing. They talked about that people are not rushed in their factories and that there are clear lines to fire exits and those basic things that, again, should be the base baseline that we're all starting from, but just even highlighting it shows you we care about the people that are making these baseball caps and shirts and right and the thing is too you know oftentimes because we're so um separated from manufacturing processes here in america we forget that the workers rights that we have in place here in america um safety you know that we have like right that we have these huge organizations government organizations that exist to do nothing but make sure that where we that where we are working or where we are eating is like clean and up to code those are like right. such it's such a basic way that our life works that we forget that there are many, many, many places in the world that have nothing like this. There is mm-hmm. no oversight. There is no government regulations about how workers should be treated. There's no hours. There's no, you know, hour limitations. There's no, you know, required fire hydrants there's no um minimum wage there's no minimum working age right like all of these things that for us we consider so basic really don't exist in so many places and and so what ends up happening and and that's why you can't when you go so the first thing i always do is go on a company's website and i look up their code of conduct and a red flag for me is if it just says we follow local laws (laughs) right Oh, because the laws may not exist or be really terrible. My husband's in manufacturing and he makes like a small display part for tractors and boats and different things like that. And uh, a, a close friend of ours that also used to work in the same company, he was in charge of actually going to factories in other countries and making sure that they were producing things ethically and... Um, so he was in charge of actually going to these factories and making sure that they were doing things ethically. And he's worked for a couple of companies in this industry and making sure that just the basics, like he said, Kara, he works at a bank now. He said, Kara, when I walk by a fire extinguisher, my first 
instinct is to go make sure that it's working correctly. Right. And he would go on safety trips to make sure everything was up to code, mm-hmm. not just for the local laws, but for for us mm-hmm. and what we know to be mm-hmm. right. And then he also mentioned, um, and we talk about this in the next episode, is they had third-party auditors mm-hmm. that go in and would make sure that all the employees' paperwork is not fraudulent. Right. So that helps with making sure that there's not a 14-year-old working in these factories that said she was 18. Right. And um, So things like that. And he even said, Kara, this is so hard. Yeah. It is hard to make sure that things are done right, but doesn't mean that we shouldn't try, that we shouldn't have processes in place. And that's, I think, what we're looking for. Does this company have processes? You know, Trove, you go to their website and their code of conduct is great, and they'll even send you to uh, the Fair Trade Federation and how they Mm -hmm. go by a lot of their guidelines. But then they also have a third-party auditor that comes Mm -hmm. in every year to make sure that the factories that they're working with are doing things right and well and ethically. Mm -hmm. That's kind of like the concluding point that we're talking about today, right? Is that ethical purchasing is this really big umbrella that covers a lot of things and it's worth it because people ought to be treated fairly. Um, But it's also complicated and there is almost no manufacturing line in the world that is this completely clean ethically sourced line because there's so many people there's so many pieces going into these these kind of processes you know you have you know the sourcing of the materials and how did that happen where did they come from where are they grown where were they manufactured and you actually have the people making it you know how are they being treated what kind of working conditions are they in are they getting paired paid fairly and then you have the people who are you know shipping it and then you have the people who are designing it you have all of these different pieces and so it's easy to begin to say okay well where are my perfect companies you're not going to find them what you are going to find is companies that have decided to make it their mission. Usually, most companies will focus on one of the big three, people, earth, mm-hmm. animals, right? And so they will want it to be, you know, good for the environment or they will want it to be, you know, um, kind to animals or they will be ensuring that their people are paid fair wages. And I think any of those three can be a great way to support a company. It is worth supporting yeah. companies that are moving the right direction. And generally, those companies, they are, when they're just passionate about one, when they have the resources, they will add in another. Exactly. So if they're just focused on labor, as soon as they can get that organic cotton, they're going to organic cotton because right. they care about those farmers yes. and they care about the planet. So yeah. that's why choosing one of those three really is a good start because you know those companies care and they're going to, as soon as they can, get the others. Right. And any company that's doing this, by the way, is going to be proud of it. It will not yeah. be, if it is difficult to get information about a company's manufacturing processes, they probably are not up to par. That's just kind of the baseline. Yeah. If you're not getting clear answers, if it's not on their website, you know, like very clearly. And, and, and as you dive into these, you'll begin to notice a difference. You'll, you'll notice a difference between the companies that are doing it doing it and companies that are not because companies that are not will all use that kind of same basic general mm-hmm. language you know and um and you'll be like okay well we need to um 
find a new place to get this from, you know, if possible. Yeah. So. And we're going to ask Bethany Tran, who's on the next episode. I'm so excited. I just adore her. Oh, my goodness. She is the founder of the Root Collective. But we ask her, like, how do you ask companies? Yeah. So, so we'll we go a little bit detail. deeper with her. Yeah. Um, plus, she's going to talk to us about, we go down. Now, if we were to talk about every clothing need you would ever have, that would take us forever to talk through that. But with her, we picked out a few things like workwear, athletic wear, jeans, a few different categories of clothes and asked her for specific companies. Yeah, which is really fun. And she's got, oh. she's, she is a resource trove of goodness and knowledge. I mean, she just, <laughs> she knows her stuff. So, um, she is worth, um, tuning back in and listening to you. Plus she's funny and I just adore her. Um, so we're, we're excited for the season ahead. There's some really great stuff, you know, um, we're going to be, like we said, talking about all these hows, and then we also have some fun stuff planned around the holidays um, to help you oh guys. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Christmas purchases and all of that kind of stuff. But so, running down just where we're going, because you're like, okay, you, we've really given you the why and the how today. The how really just touching on it on looking for transparency, but the next four weeks we're going into with Bethany Tran we're going to talk about actual companies that we are confident in they may not be the gold standard but they're moving forward and we're confident with them Um, then we're going to talk about consignment I'll be back for that one and my kind of strategy for purchasing with consignment we have a friend coming on to talk about thrifting and we're going to terrible at so I'm excited to talk to her me too (laughs) Yeah, there is a difference between consignment and thrifting. We're going to get into that. Um, And then we're talking vintage with Sobo, um, Lauren over at Sobo here in Tulsa, and then um, getting into swap. So kind of getting into, we're going to unpack this how Mm -hmm. really specifically every week to give you some strategies on these different options for how to purchase ethically. And then we're going to jump into ethical holidays. Yeah, which, which I'm is so just excited about. fun. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, again, the goal of our podcast, you guys, and the goal of um, this conversation is just that you feel empowered with knowledge. Oh, this is happening. Um, but This is why I need to do this. Yes. And by the way, too, it is not uncommon to feel like you're drinking water out of a fire hydrant. When yeah. you first begin to get involved with ethical purchasing, it can feel overwhelming. And I think our hope is that you take a deep breath and just realize that um, it is possible to take slow steps to move into this way of living, <laughs> this way of utilizing your money. It's really, really possible. And it's possible as a busy person. You know, um, I have three kids. We homeschool. I am expecting our fourth. Um, but the truth is, this is such a natural way for me now that it's not difficult to purchase like this. Right. So good times. Well, it was so much fun talking to you today. Um, and I always love our little chats. Um, for those of you guys who don't know, we always have to edit down our conversations. <laughs> yeah. Bit because we are talkers and we love talking about this stuff. Um, But we are excited to uh, keep empowering you guys this fall and we hope you have a wonderful week and we'll check in next week. All right. Bye guys. 
So we're back. I hope you all learned some new things about fast fashion, ethical purchasing today. Season two is off to a great start. We're excited for the next couple of weeks as we talk about where to purchase ethically. And we'll go into personal style. We feel like this is really important to know as you're going out and purchasing from ethical companies. You don't want to spend 100 bucks on a dress you're not going to wear. So stay tuned. We will be back next week. Not two weeks from now, next week. So go to iTunes, subscribe. Also, while you're there, leave us a review. We'll see you next week.